The second commandment represents perhaps the commandment that has caused the most confusion and controversy down through church history. Many times it has been thought to prohibit idolatry, but that would simply make it a duplication of the first commandment. And that is what the first commandment does. It concerns idolatry. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. It prohibits having any god other than or in addition to the one true God. The second commandment is different. It concerns how the one true God is to be worshipped and forbids the use of any image of any created thing in the worship of God. Now, we might wonder why this is so important and why it is such a big deal. Well, we start with the fundamental truth that we cannot know God unless he reveals himself to us. And God, of course, has revealed himself to us through his word. And one of the main things he has revealed about himself is that he is completely other than the creation. He is eternal, infinite, and self-existence, whereas the creation is time-bound, finite, and dependent. Further, as Jesus tells us, God is spirit, whereas the creation is material. Now, that does not make the creation evil or second-rate, but it does mean that because God is spirit, he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And it does mean that God cannot be captured, as it were, in a snapshot by any aspect of the creation. And it does mean that fallen man, when he tries to imagine God, inevitably imagines him to be in some sense like man himself or some other aspect of the creation. And this is really where violations of the second commandment begin, not with the creation, but in the imagination of fallen man. But it proceeds from there to man grabbing some aspect of the creation to represent God as man projects his imagination about God onto that object. Now, the Bible does tell us that God has revealed himself to an extent in the creation. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1, where he says that all men are without excuse for this very reason, because God's existence as well as his eternal power and his divinity are clearly seen from the creation. But note what Paul says that the creation reveals to us about God. First, the fact that he exists and he is the creator. Second, that he is eternal in his power. That is, he is uncreated. He is self-existent, always existent, as well as omnipotent. Third, the fact that God is divine in nature. That is, he is fundamentally other than the created order. He is not part of the cosmos, but outside it and above it. And finally, the fact that man should acknowledge God as God and give him thanks. Now note that these general truths, objectively revealed by the creation, lead people away from using created things to represent God. For again, what is known is that he is other than the created order. And Paul goes on to tell us in Romans 1 that fallen man's impulse to use created things in Paul's words, corruptible man, images in the form of birds and four-footed animals and crawling things, using these images to represent God in worship, this was precisely the result of fallen man's suppressing the truth about God that is actually objectively revealed in the creation. 
This being so, we can see why the inverse is also true. Using created things to represent God in worship inevitably leads man away from the truth and toward idolatry. It inevitably leads man toward conceiving of God as some sort of higher power within the cosmos. This is the eternal, internal logic of Paul's words in Romans 1, and it seems to be the internal logic of the second commandment as well. So in the Old Testament, we see God avoiding images as representations of himself. God gives tokens of his presence, a burning bush, a pillar of cloud and fire, but he gives no image as a direct representation of his person or nature. Moses emphasizes this to, his, to the people in Deuteronomy chapter 4. He reminds them that at Sinai you saw no image, you only heard God's voice. And in the tabernacle, which contained much artwork, there were images of cherubim and pomegranates and trees and so forth, but these are all created things. In the tabernacle there was no image representing God himself. The token of his presence was again the pillar of cloud and fire. Further, the images of created things symbolized certain truths, specifically that the tabernacle was like a new Eden, to which man was not yet admitted, but that that is where God was going in the plan of redemption. Yet none of those images were worshipped or used as aids to worship. Now, to be fair, there are a couple of times in the Old Testament when God appears in a shadowy figure described like a man. An, ex an example is the, is the vision that uh, God gives to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 1. He sees a figure like a man sitting above the cherubim. We also have a reference to this in the famous uh, passage in Daniel chapter 7, where he sees one like the Son of Man coming before the Ancient of Days. <clears throat> But these shadowy uh, images of a man seem to be pointing forward to the incarnation, to the Lord Jesus, that is, to the second person of the Trinity becoming incarnate as a man and sitting on God's throne after redemption is accomplished through Christ's death and resurrection. Remember that the New Testament reveals to us that it was the second person of the Holy Trinity, it was God the Son, the pre-incarnate Jesus, who appeared to God, who appeared to Moses, rather, on Mount Sinai, and who went before the children of Israel in the wilderness. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and in Hebrews chapter 12. In the Old Testament, in terms of God revealing himself, he always pointed to his word and to his actions. And of course, God's actions were always then recorded in his word. God's word and his actions truly reveal who God is. So we always have God saying things like this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That's who I am. That's what God is saying. That's who I am. I am the Lord your God who appeared to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <clears throat> I am the Lord your God who brought you through the sea on dry ground. I am the Lord your God who gave you the land of Canaan. I am the one who did these things. These actions tell you who I am, and so forth. Now, what about in the New Testament times? What about after God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, has become incarnate in the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Does that change things? After all, Jesus is fully God and fully man. The disciples could see and touch Jesus. He had a real body. If you had been there and had a camera, you could have taken his picture. Of course, in the providence of God, there were no cameras at that time. But they could have painted a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ or made a sculpture of him. Or at least they could have given us a detailed description of what he looked like. Was he tall? What does his voice sound like? Was it deep? Was he handsome? What color was his hair? What color were his eyes? It is very interesting that these things that we would really like to know, and one day we will know, but it's very interesting that they did not do any of these things. They leave us with a complete absence of details as to what Jesus looked like. Well, what can we conclude from that? First of all, it would not be per se wrong to depict the depictable. In other words, to depict the body of Jesus, to depict Jesus as to his humanity. It is still not possible, though, nor is it right to try to depict God or to depict Christ as to his divinity. And let me simply point out that there are many pitfalls involved in trying to depict what we think Jesus, the man, looked like. Again, the New Testament could have given us a great deal to go on, but it gives us nothing. And inevitably, when we try to depict Jesus, based on our conceptions of the kind of man he was, with his personality and character coming out his features, as it were, and of course, that begins to get into not only the humanity of Jesus, but his divinity as well. We inevitably fall short, for all of our imaginations fall short. And we inevitably make Jesus look like our imagination of exactly the kind of man that he was. And of course, none of us perfectly can capture that, no matter how knowledgeable of the scriptures we are. We see the New Testament and Jesus himself pointing us to the same place the Old Testament did, and that is to God's actions through Christ and to God's words through Christ. These truly reveal and convey to us who God is and who God is in Christ. This is where we see Jesus himself pointing his disciples even after his resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, the resurrected Jesus appears to two of his disciples. He prevents their eyes from recognizing him. Why is this? He doesn't want them focused on what he looks like and the fact that he is back. He doesn't want them focused on the mere fact of that miraculousness. Where does he point him? He points them to the scriptures. He preaches the scriptures to them. He opens up the scriptures that all talked about him coming and him being humbled, going to the cross, dying for the sins of his people, and then being raised up in glory. That's where he points them. And he is saying, in effect, to them, this is how I will reveal myself to you by the power of the newly given Holy Spirit. This is how I will meet with you. This is how I will commune, commune with you through the word and through the breaking of bread.